0: Well, please open your scriptures to Acts nine last week. Uh, we talked about in response to the question our sermon series posed, why bother with the church? And that is because the church has a task to reach the unreached for the gospel. Uh, this morning, I'm kind of going to take us from that outward perspective and bring it sort of into the family living room and talk about sort of who we are, our identity and purpose here. Uh, as we gather in this local context. So why bother with the church? We bother with the church because of our identity and purpose as seen in how God describes the church. I think we know this uh, well enough now. The church is not a building. right? We know that we are the church. I think you've heard that over the last decade. um, That we, you know, it's not about, The blocks, it's not about a steeple, it's not even about an address. We're thankful for this base of operation to gather the way we do, but this is not the church. And that struck me this week on a Facebook update from some of our friends that work in Africa. And the first sentence said, We put temporary doors on the church so we could secure it. And I was like, We need to get in the habit of saying we put temporary doors on the church building right this is a church building during during the week it's a school cuz you're not you're the church right i mean we advertise highlands baptist church but when it's empty this is just block and wood and shingles because you're the church the church is not a preaching point or a set of songs we are the church the new covenant blood purchased and grace forgiven people of god that's what makes us the church That's why Paul said this in Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, a people. He gave himself up. He suffered and bled and died for people, not a physical building. He died and rose again to save sinners by grace, and they gather together to worship him. And when they do that, by covenanting together, they are the church for a lot of Christians. Being the church simply means that they call themselves a Christian, that they're not Hindu, they're not Buddhist, they're not Muslim or any other variety of religions. They simply say they're a Christian, and that means they stream or attend a church regularly or semi regular. Right. You have you have every week Christians, you have every other week, Christians, once a month, Christians, you have, and this is a pejorative term, you've heard of priesters, right? They gather for Christmas and Easter, that's it. They still call themselves Christians, but there's really no affiliation or commitment to one another as the church. If we don't fully understand the identity or purpose of something, it almost will be guaranteed to fall into misuse. And I think that's happening with the church. So it's helpful to know the terms God uses to describe us who we are right here this morning. And there's others with us that um, that are streaming or that couldn't be here. They've traveled. We have two of our elders families that have traveled out of state. Okay, but we're the church and they're the church, too. They're just scattered and we're gathered. Okay, but we know we should know where one another is, uh, you know, mostly. So let me let me geek out a little bit on English grammar. Because a lot of the terms that God uses to describe us are either a simile or a metaphor. What's the biggest difference between a simile and a metaphor? Because both draw comparisons, right? The difference is that similes use the word or words like or as. For example, um, he's a lot like Zeus. You see the comparison. No, you, I mean, you could say that. Or life is like, like a box of chocolates. Or life can be like a smashed pumpkin, right? It depends on what season of life you're in. Metaphors, in contrast, directly state a comparison without using like or as. His hair was flaxen wheat. I mean, was his hair really flaxen? And... Some of you are smiling because you, com- you see the comparison again. Was his hair really flaxen wheat? No, we understand It's a comparison. When Jesus said he is the door, we're not looking for a wooden upright entry point with a doorknob. We get it. It's a metaphor. Sometimes it helps to notice what similes and metaphors are used to compare something. Do you know what's not used? I was thinking about sort of the negatives to contrast this. The metaphor or comparison of an amusement park is not used for the church. Never says the church is like an amusement park or the gathered people of God. You know, our Walt Disney World never says that never says we're like a roller coaster because we're not here to sort of get a, a, a flash of a thrill or a day pass to unlimited excitement. That's and it, and it doesn't use the metaphor of a marketplace. It never says the church is like a mall or like Amazon Prime and it's on I mean, there's historical distinctions on why those weren't used, but it's never used because what 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 the metaphors do is it takes us from being a consumer to being a steward of who we are. Okay. the metaphors that are used are instructive. Now, if if you understand um, parts of the scripture, you know that this list could be very long. So we're just going to look at two, two different metaphors this morning. The church is made up of many different members that comprise one body of Christ. That's the the metaphor we're going to look at. The church is the body of Christ. I've had you turn to Acts. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Here's Saul, who's not converted yet. He becomes the apostle Paul. Saul, still breathing threats and murder, Against the disciples of the Lord. And this is an intense man. This is a fierce persecutor of the church. And he's breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest. So he gets religion involved to exterminate the disciples. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What is the next word? Me. He doesn't say that group of disciples or that sweet gathering of, 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 of timid people down the road. He tells the persecutor, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Do you feel the the, sort of the intimacy of that? And this is, by the way, Paul is going to use this language, the body of Christ. He's going to use it to the church at Rome, to the church at Corinth, to the church at Colossae, to the church at Ephesus. And it seems that it springs from his own conversion experience in the words of Jesus Christ. You're persecuting me, my body. So Paul learned that an individual Christian or a gathered group of Christians are neither isolated nor independent from Jesus, even when persecuted and imprisoned. So what do you think about when when Paul then uses this term, maybe more than any other, that we are the body of Christ? And in this specific location, we are fully the body of Christ. Okay. A Christian, then, is like a hand, a foot, a leg, and an eye. We're only healthy and useful if we're attached to what? The whole body. Right? If you, you would never look, I'm trying not to make you queasy, but you would never look at a severed finger and say, what a beautiful body. It's a finger. Right? You'd never look at a body part separated out from the entirety of of who it is, the wholeness of it, and say that it's healthy. That finger has a function in the body, but you'd never consider it healthy by itself. Paul refers to the believers at Corinth. Let me have you go go to first Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to sort of see this in print, whether it's on your device or whether it's on paper. I want you to see this first Corinthians 10 verse 17. He says this, and by the way, we'll be going to 1 Corinthians 12 next, so hold your place there. Or if I'm reading before you found it, still get to that place in your scriptures. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, we who are many are one body. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. Just as the one, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Look down at verse 27. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Every body part is necessary, so there's no place for, I mean, we could say this long and this, I'm not thinking of anyone or anybody's rhythms or habits. I was just trying to make some applications here. There's no place for my body to to be in long term absence of the other members. That would be a problem. Like, no one says this. I haven't seen my left foot in years. If you have both feet. Right. I just haven't seen it. Or self pity. I'm only an elbow. Like Really? Who looks? Did you look at your elbows this morning? I mean, it would have been rare if we just did that in front of the mirror. Like, oh, There it is, right? I'm only an elbow in the... But think of how important your elbow is, right? Think of the the mechanics of your right arm and what the elbow does. And when you knock it, you know it's there. Why do they call that the funny bone, right? Because it's not funny and it doesn't tickle. But then all of a sudden you're aware of the elbow. Or, for instance, look at verse, verse 14, 1 Corinthians 12. It's kind of humorous. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Verse 15, 1 Corinthians 12. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye. Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You know what you need to hear when you read that? You have a necessary part in this body. You are a necessary part. And if you go missing, something important is missing. Right? And we could run this through. I mean, you know, rarely are we saying, you know, because I'm not a nursery worker, I don't belong to the body. Usually it's, we're like, that's not my calling, that's not my gifting, right? By the way, nobody has the gift of working in the nursery. Um, some people do really well at it, okay? But if you're waiting for an individual calling to go help other adults and, and moms especially, Come up here and worship undistracted. That is a vital ministry. Okay? The metaphor suggests the healthy attachment in the larger body, a wholeness, and the danger of not being connected to the wholeness of the body. How healthy, after all, is a severed limb or a punctured lung, and the rest of the body wants to give it attention Several years ago, my foot was crushed. Every metatarsal on my front on my right foot was crushed twice, was broken twice, and the Liz Frank joint was crushed. Guess guess what felt the pain? My whole body. And my doctor, and I'll not mention his name to protect the guilty, but his first question was, are you still going to be able to go fishing in Canada? <laughs> right? By the way, that was the best thing he could have asked on that house visit. Because then I'm like, oh, he still loves me and he cares. And he's going to make sure it heals as fast as it can. Um, The metaphor of the body tethers it to our spiritual good to one another. Right? You and I have a necessary vital health life connection to one another. Because that's what God says his church is. Look at Romans 12. Turn, turn back to Romans 12. Romans 12, verse four. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one, the one body of Christ. And individually members one of another. Right? So members working together receive life building up as they contribute their own giftedness to the body of Christ. Look at Romans 12 verse3. And, and before we read that, I want to have you ever asked yourself what your function as a member in this body is? Have you ever asked that? Again, okay, that doesn't mean next week you're going to be standing up here on the music team. Most of you, that would be just a fearful consideration. And it, would be, it wouldn't even be your gifting. Okay, But have you ever asked what your function is here as a member, as a hand or an ear or toe of this body? Right, That's the metaphor. Notice what Paul says to the church at Rome. Look at, look at verse 3 of chapter 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Sort of the same thing, right? The, 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 the eye can't say, you know, look at me, I'm an eye. Oh, you can't look, you're not an eye, right? The eye never says that. Right. So here we are, different members that compose one body. Verse 12 or verse 4 of chapter 12. The members do not all have the same function. Look at verse 5. He's going to apply it. So we, though many, are what? One body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Are you a healthy, functioning member of the body? Or could it be... Your rhythms or the habits make you more like a jammed finger where it's not really functioning well. The rest of your body is suffering with you because if one member suffers, 1 Corinthians said, all the members suffer with it. Paul used the metaphor of the body in his letter to the church at Ephesus as well. Let me just read these. I won't have you turn there. Ephesians 4.12, equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Ephesians 5 23 Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior Ephesians 5 verse 30 we are members of Christ's body and then he says this to the Colossians in Colossians 1 24 for the sake of his Christ's body that is the church that's who we are so it's very helpful to to really push out of our mind that the church is simply a building or even a set of songs in a liturgy and to say that you are the church. You are a member individually of an entire body that is needed for full function. Now, the metaphor of a body emphasizes an interdependency, a a unity, a health. But there's another instructive metaphor, and I'm going to have you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That is, the church is not simply like a body or is the body of Christ. The church is also a family or a household of faith. Okay, similar terms. The metaphor of a family is used in several places. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. I am writing these things to you so that... You may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's the purpose of the entire letter. He's writing so that they know how they ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. Because of that, go back to uh, go to First Timothy five, verse one. Because now the metaphor suggests that we are a household and look at the terminology he uses, the familial terminology. First Timothy five, verse one, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So that's how you interact with the older men in this body with respect. He may be wrong. There might need to be something said But this is how you do it. You interact with him as you would with your own father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Because we are a family, we interact differently with one another. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9. I love what Paul says here. After he talks about the principle of sowing and reaping, he says this, let us not grow weary of doing good. You don't have to answer this out loud or even with a head nod. Have you ever grown weary of doing good? Have you ever come through a season of just hurt after hurt, even by Christians, and you get weary of doing good to them? Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially this category, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know what that looks like in Galatians 6? We restore one another in the spirit of gentleness. We bear one another's burdens. We share with one another. We take special attention to do good. To one another in this household. It's actually within the household, within the family, where we live out the one another statements. And I know Sean touched on this about two weeks ago. uh, But listen to these. This is where we love one another. Even when we're not likable. Have you ever had to love somebody at the same moment? You're really not liking this person. But you know as a Jesus follower, you're going to love them by God's grace. We love one another. That's, that is the one another statement mentioned most often throughout the New Testament. In Romans 12, 9, it says, we love one another with brotherly affection. There's the family term. Have you ever seen the kind of brother, the love between brothers that are close? We've been able to watch that with our sons. Um, they, may, they may have an argument or a disagreement among themselves, but if you try to step in, right, you're in trouble. Right, If you try to get between any of the brothers, I mean, there's like a fierce loyalty that goes on there. Okay? And we are to love one another in a fiercely good and protective way. And we, we do that with brotherly affection. We are, Romans 12.10, to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We, Romans 12.16, live in harmony with one another. So What does that say when, it, when a church then starts to take on the personality of dissonance rather than harmony. Well, then it fails to say the right thing about Jesus Christ in the gospel. Because Jesus said, by this shall all people know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another, and therefore we live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, verse 13, we stop passing judgment on one another. Wouldn't that help make the gathering of God's people a safe place? Wouldn't that make this a household, a family of God? When you live within, it's not really four walls, but we use that term, when you live within the four walls of a home with your your family member, there's a lot you put up with, right? There's, There's a lot of love and forgiveness that has to go on or that family will be divided. There'll be chaos. Romans 14, 13, we stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 15, 7, we accept one another just as Christ accepted us. How did Christ accept you? Did you come to Him lovable? Did you come to Him clean? Did you come to Him holy? Did you come to Him after a life of great, admirable service to Him already? No. He finds us as sinners in need of a Savior. That's How he has accepted us as a sinner by grace. We serve one another in love, Galatians 5.13. That brings us back to our function as members of a body. We bear with one another in love. You know, there are times, and we, we, we say this often here, there are times when we'll have to, the idea is put up with one another. Right. Whether it be a personality or a quirk or social awkwardness or irritation or somebody who's just consistently dominating the conversation and you feel like one big ear, even though you don't think that's your body part. Right. And you have listened and you, you know what we do as a family. We put up with each other. By by the grace that Christ himself provides us with. We speak the truth in love, yes, but there, there will also be a measure of putting up. Ephesians 4.32, we are kind and compassionate to one another. In Ephesians 4.32, we forgive each other, which assumes we're going to hurt each other. Why? Because we are a family. Listen to Second Corinthians 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty, Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hebrews 3, 6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's interesting that in connection with this metaphor of a building being used um, or as a household or a family, he connects it to the idea of a building, but not like you and I would typically think. Listen to what First Peter 2, chapter 4 to 5 says. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, here's the simile, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, simile. To be, here's the reality, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this idea of a household and the idea of a family is also that of a living building with Christ as our cornerstone built on the apostles' foundation, closely related to that foundation. Uh, It says this in Ephesians 2.19, the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we are a household, a living building with living stones. The church is built stone by stone, or if you would, person by person, who is born again as Jesus Christ becomes their Savior and King. So how do we end this? How do we apply us being the body of Christ, individually members of the one body? How do we apply being the household of God or the family of God, a holy temple? I I would say this, and we have to say this consistently because our own emotions will deceive us at times and they will ebb and flow. But if consistently a person's affections do not long for fellowship with brothers and sisters of a household, or desire to be connected to a spiritual building, or long to be an attached healthy member of a body, that would be a sick member, or a sick body. Or it's a stone that is out of alignment with the cornerstone. If the rhythms of life, of being the church, are not affected, or weren't affected last year by the stay-at-home policy, then I would say we have to evaluate where our heart is in connection with the church. Or even ask what I'm a member of. How am I functioning as this member? Is there an interdependence on one another? And does my presence matter to someone else? And you know, by the way, that means that I need you as much as you need as, as a member, me, And you need each other. And and, and it's kind of humorous, but there are some people gifted in helping you practice the one another's that are here for you personally. They need to be served by you. They need to be loved by you. They need to be forgiven by you. They need their burdens carried by you. They need you to put up with them for the sake of Christ and His gospel. It's easy to get detached easy to remove ourselves. But God has designed us to function as a healthy member of a body and to care for one another as family members. We bother with the church because of our identity and purpose as seen in how God describes the church. We are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and we are the household of God, a household of faith, a holy temple together. Is that how you would describe yourself? This morning, a healthy member or a loving family member, a member who serves others in the household. And if not, why wouldn't you describe yourself that way? Because you have the answer. And then the follow up question is, would you change that this morning? Would you commit to one another as healthy members of the household of God? Because we do this. We do these things in the context of where the spirit dwells, his holy temple, a healthy body, a holy temple. And then that from the healthy church, the gospel advances to those who have never heard of it before. I'm going to invite the music team forward. I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians chapter two while they get in place and get ready to lead us in a hymn of response. Listen to this from Ephesians two. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him, Jesus Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, by the way, that's us, with a cornerstone and a foundation of truth, and we are, we are living stones that build make this building, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see the importance of that? See the value that God places on us? See these metaphors and these similes that tell us our identity in Christ and the importance of what we do here together in unity? Let's pray.